0: Welcome to The Fader Interview, I'm Alex Robert Ross, Editorial Director of The Fader. It's been almost a decade since Cara Cara Benito, the trio of Sarah Medora Perry, Gus Lobin, and Jamie Bullard, released their first single on Soundcloud. They picked up a cult following online in their early years, with fans locking into the band's incisive and almost cartoonish proto-hyperpop vision. Since then, they've built a large and committed fanbase while imagining new musical and thematic parameters without veering from their core principles. Their latest EP, Civilization 2, the sequel to 2019's Civilization 1, pulls together ambitious dream pop, analog mythology, and urgent observations on humanity into three of their sharpest songs yet. Ahead of its release, the fader Salvatore Mackie caught up with the band remotely to discuss how the project came together, the thrill of revisiting that early aesthetic to soundtrack the video game Bug Snacks, and the challenges of realising pop potential.
1: Uh, Guys, catch me up
2: on the state of KKB, it's been so long. The last time we spoke was in the zone of Benito Generation, I think, right? And since then, it's been like, there was time and place in 2018, and then... We went on a big tour, and then we released Civilization 1. Then COVID happened, basically, so we're here. So we were kind of like, well, what do we do now? But Civilization 2 has kind of been our, you know, savior project over the last year and a half, more or less.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask, like, how was the last year and a half? How did the pandemic change the routine of the band if at all.
3: We were quite lucky during the actual 2020 when it comes to opportunities that we were, you know, offered gigs to do and, like, streams and stuff, you know. So we were on it, but it was a different kind of work to what we had done before, where, you know, we would have just, like, hung out and really gone at it. It's, like, very much setting it up in our own front rooms and... It's quite different to what we've done before, obviously. Yeah,
4: my room has definitely changed. Before COVID, I would just go back to my room to just sleep, but now I completely changed my room. So there's the art section, there's the recording section, there's the the green screen section. Like I brought the world in my wor- room.
2: <laughs> I feel like it's hit in two like, two main ways. There's the practical side, which is obviously you know instead of being able to record all together, we had to do it all remotely, and and Sarah actually. Basically sorted out her own recording setup.
4: I learned how to record my own vocals, so that's that's the skill gained.
2: (laughs) Were you guys able to
1: link in person a bit over the past year?
4: Um, A bit, yeah. Like um, when the roles kind of relaxed, like we we met up a bit. But yeah, not not really. Like we used to see each other like every week, and now it's like it's like long distance KKB.
2: It's weird because last summer, everything was relaxed to an extent, but then it was just ramped up again. So there's this weird thing of, obviously, we're sort of nostalgic for pre-COVID, but we're also almost a little bit nostalgic for that weird period when the COVID lockdown was just a little bit less intense. Now it's like we're almost pining for that stage again, which I think, you know, hopefully we'll have soon. But yeah, really weird, actually, that, you know, there, there are these levels like that.
1: Yeah. And I think like the Stockholm syndrome of it all is kind of revealing itself Where like, I don't want to leave my captivity. I'm like a little afraid, but we're getting there.
2: No, that's totally a thing. It's hard to imagine people just kind of going crazy. And, you know, if gigs start happening again in a relatively normal way, someone just going to all the gigs that week. And being like, yeah, I'm going crazy, so glad to have gigs back. I feel like it'll be more gradual and it'll be like, oh, I've been to my gig, that's, that's enough for two weeks, like, I'm going to build myself back up again. And, you know, I think people maybe are a little bit apprehensive, without even fully really realising it, you know, about the next stage. And, and even if we could, technically, I don't think we will return to our pre-COVID sort of level of socialising straight away. I think we're going to have to bed it in a bit. Definitely.
1: Well, I really appreciate you guys taking a minute out of this COVID era to, to talk with me about Civilization Two because I fucking love this EP. I'm so excited about it, and I really want to get into that. But first, this being part of an as-yet-numbered anthology, I was wondering what was the genesis point for even exploring Civilization in these sort of installments?
2: It all started with Civilization 1, which we did in... We made that sort of uh, around mid-2019 and released it in September 2019. And actually, what that was about, you know, we were still touring off Time and Place. And we felt like, well, you know, let's put out something cool that actually kind of continues some of the concepts and stories of Time and Place, but takes them to... A new a new level right so whereas time and place was sort of about mixing up the past present and future on a personal scale civilization does that but on a much much grander scale so whereas time and place was about oh you know my childhood in the suburbs slash being in your mid-20s slash what happens when I die civilization is much more is more like well okay now we're in this context of ancient warfare and battles and conflict but also you know climate change happening right now but also in the distant distant future will humans even be on this earth or or you know what, what is going to happen to humanity you know how's it going to change so kind of like really zooming out uh, even though it's more, more or less the same basic concept and the actual original idea was to do a four track ep that was maybe a little bit over ambitious so we did the three track ep and then we we figured well actually you know in 2019, we're also going to be doing a few bits and pieces, so it makes sense to do something and release it then and, and alongside the shows we're doing in 20 uh, sorry 2020, not 2019. Um, and, of course, we all know what happened there because we were going to uh, go back and do some more American shows and play in Brazil, but then, obviously, all of that got cancelled. So uh, the EP basically ended up getting delayed. Uh, but the result is that it's become this sort of mini-album. When we conceived it, as I say, it was, it was really just an EP that was kind of expound upon some of the more fundamental time and place ideas and, and just tie that all up. But actually, it's ended up becoming a, an era of KKB in its own right, which I think is, is good, actually. I mean, I think that the EPs together are a distinct statement. And yeah, bring, bring something new to the KKB story.
1: I'm really compelled by how both of these EPs are very absorbent of a lot of conflict that we're all kind of reckoning with right now. And sort of answering these questions with an almost primal mindset, I think that's a really interesting a way to tackle these subjects.
2: It feels like almost every release, in a weird way, is trying to get to this sort of very fundamental heart of what it means to be, you know, what it means to be, basically, just in a different way. And with this one, I, I think all of the songs on Civilization One and Two they grew from actually very sort of normal or at least very like present ideas. So When the Fires Come, you know, it's obviously about the wildfires that were sort of very, uh, very high profile in around 20, yeah, 2018. Princess and the Clock was actually written before COVID, but was sort of about friends of ours or, you know, people we know and the kind of strange relationship that maybe we, they have to audiences or, you know, to other people or kind of toxic relationships and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I think that every release also re- reacts to the one before it. So everything an artist does, maybe not the, all artists, but I think a lot of artists, you know, they they, for example, like Bowie, right? So he has his, like, crazy... Berlin experimental phase And then he's like I'm actually pretty bored Of experimental music now I'm going to make Like a proper pop record Let's get Nar Rogers And smash Smash the hell out of the charts You know And I think that We definitely Experience the creative process That way So you know We'd made our uh, You know our guitar record, our sort of personal sort of record, and it was like, well, no, let's let's max this out now. Let's get epic. We haven't done that, and let's switch to synths because I think that we, you know, we haven't concentrated on just those for a little while. I think we can smash that. So it's definitely part of the the ongoing self reactivity of of KKB's discography but the primal thing I mean I think that I was surprised that there weren't more songs like when the fires come or I don't know it's just when you look at humanity in this in this grand way it's hard to get away from that and um, you know certain certain objects we were sort of interested in were things like Codex Seraphinianus, which Sarah showed us kind of Luigi Seraphini really crazy encyclopedia which is written in a sort of invented script and has all these surreal drawings that you can't tell really what it's trying to tell you, but you can discern that it is trying to tell you something. And, you know, these very fundamental ideas about semantics and, you know, human experience. And, yeah, I think all that stuff is fascinating right now. And whether that's because we feel like we're at, you know, an important juncture or not, it's hard to say, but I definitely think it's it's big stuff. It's it's very interesting stuff.
1: Yeah, The Princess and the Clock. I mean, the fact that that song was written... Before the pandemic really kicked in, I don't know what you guys are on. I don't know what's what's going on. And
4: in- we we have a crystal ball that tells us, yeah,
5: the future.
4: Sarah, <laughs>
5: Sarah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: tell me about how that song came together and how you guys kind of pieced together that that fable
2: The process for that was really interesting. It started with the melodic figure that you hit at the start of the song. The doo 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 that thing. So we had that and actually originally I envisaged a song that was almost like a ballad song, a bit like swimming off time and place. But then I was like, well actually, you know, our last single in, in uh, from time and place while swimming so i don't really want to just do that style again so i actually remember it very clearly i was walking around tesco and i thought why don't we speed it up to like a sort of booty bass speed like 145 bpm we've never really done a track like that and that would actually sound pretty pretty amazing you know like that sort of apex twin-ish mystical club sound and then also i was like well i really want to have a t- song title that's like a myth, the princess and the something. I think that the logic file for the track is actually called the princess and the something. I was like, we want to write a myth, you know, because we were we were in the middle of a civilization zone at this point, and it was like, well, you know, we've got to write a myth. We haven't haven't done that yet, but it's so civilization. Of course, we have to do that. So uh, yeah, it, it, you know, it kind of wrote itself when the idea to write a myth came in because it was as i say sort of actually inspired by people we know and relationships of people we know and actually how do, how can we sort of transcribe that into a an ancient mythical song that actually you know whole sort of is convincing you know story songs are always quite hard because not only are you worrying about the meter of of the of the lines and and the you know the melodic rhythm and so on but you're also trying to move a story on, you know, it's quite fiddly. There's a lot of moving parts with that, but it it comes together. It did. And, uh, and yeah, I don't know. It almost, it almost sort of feels fully formed when you, when you look back on it now, but no, it was, it was definitely, a definitely some creative work went into that.
1: I definitely wanted to talk about well-rested because that song is like a smack in the face. It's like a KKB uprising
5: Yeah.
3: (laughs) A very long smack in the face.
1: Did that song come together? It just feels like such a turning point for KKB and and maybe almost
2: your mission in a way. That that also has quite a slightly unusual creative uh, gestation. That song it originally originally started as a very extreme remix of the song Rest Stop from Time and Place. Wow. Yeah, this is the scoop. Yeah, (laughs) because that that song also you know maybe more than any other Time and Place actually does deal with massive. Uh, sort of existential ideas and you know there's a there's a drum rhythm in that song a drum machine rhythm in that song in in the second half in the sort of collage section and it's a very very slowed down sort of cheap sounding drum rhythm machine and the rhythm track of well rested is based on that same drum loop except that it's been sped back up to its original tempo which was you know 112 like more sort of dance zone. Um, And then the entire rhythm track was was built around that. And then the whole track was just built from that. And it sort of, you know, thematically, it is maybe a bit of a a, uh, follow-up to the the second part of Rest Stop.
1: Sarah, how did you piece together the sort of, like, manifesto of this track? Because it seems, like, a little different than how most KKB songs go. Like, there's definitely, like, a call to arms in a way.
4: Yeah, I think... It's always related to what we're experiencing as well, and kind of like this, like I don't know, like the future and what what could the future hold, and like how we're living right now. And I think yeah, well, well rested is kind of like a, I don't know, like a vision of the future.
2: And it's it's got a chant as well, right? It's I think one of the few moments where you you. Uh, well chant I suppose in Japanese right
4: yeah yeah there's a there's a chant about mother Gaia and we need to keep peace with um, like nature and things around us um, to live in harmony basically yeah
2: I think one thing that inspired the the mood of that track was this I don't know if this was a phenomenon in in the US but in sort of 2018 2019 there was this vague trend of people kind of going on the radio and being like, oh, I don't think we should have kids anymore because I think that we're going to destroy the earth. You know, you just like turn on like BBC News and they'd have someone talking about this. And it almost, I felt like it got really irresponsible. Like it wasn't nuanced at all. It was just like people just talking heads saying, like, we should we should like stop having children. <laughs> like, like it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, you know what? <laughs> like, let's look at let's look into this a little bit more, at least, you know.
1: Yeah. I do wanna go back a little bit now that we're in like this civilization discourse. I wanna talk about bug snacks. Hi, the how did that come together because the song in the game feels so symbiotic how did you guys even take on this challenge of like this franchise that didn't exist and and kind of putting your imprint
2: on it yeah that was it was really funny because actually also it, the call came in just as covid was hitting
4: yeah it was the all done in in lockdown really i remember um G- gus calling me saying like oh we we're going to do this track and for this game and it's about um, bugs and, and then you turn into whatever you eat. You turn into them, and I was like, "Oh, okay, let's do it." <laughs> like, okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> when I had the first call with um, the developers, and you know they were just kind of like, "Thanks so much for talking." Like, so the game's called Bug Snacks and, and it's about um, it's about the Grumpuses, and when they eat the the bug snacks, their limbs turn into the the snacks, and I was just kind of like, "Ah, okay." <laughs> um, Sick. Okay. <laughs> what, what was really helpful was that they knew that they, they wanted something similar to, you know, Flamingo or Picture This, like that kind of style of KKB track. So it was really just about revisiting that era of KKB sort of creatively, uh, but applying the sort of lyrical process to the game Bug Snacks, which was great because there's a lot going on in that game. And also I think our lyric style in that zone is quite literal and quite say what you see right? That was always our thing at that time. So we could just apply that to the game. Like, we just played the game and we're like, kind of bargain, kind of snack, try to catch them in your trap. Like, that is the game. Like, that is what happens.
3: The, the launch was really cool as well, especially it's, maybe it's kind of grandeur or something. Like, it was quite a big stream and look, they were announcing the PS5 and it was quite major, really. And it felt like we kind of I don't know. The bug kind of stood out a little bit that night in this funny way.
1: Yeah, because it's much bigger than yourself, but also it's something that you're so um, entwined with at this point.
3: And it opened us up to a bunch of people, like I, all manner of responses, but you know, loads of people who just knew us and knew the game and didn't even, you know, it's wicked. It's so funny. Lots of gaming communities like hearing about us for the first time, like sick.
1: To kind of like zoom out a little bit on a more like, pop existential level. Gus, I was on your Twitter and I saw that you were kind of talking about the idea of pop potential and whether that's a static goal. It feels like we're living through a really, really exciting time for pop music. I think people are able to regard it as less of a guilty pleasure and more of just pleasure and like not something that you have to kind of look down on. But going back to that idea of potential, I'm wondering what kinds of avenues do you think could be pursued more voraciously in terms of where pop music could could go further?
2: My favorite question, maybe. I, I have this theory that I call magic pop which is this idea that pop music is actually capable of more than it sometimes is used for? Can be pushed to a sort of you know extreme heights that we are used to, but we uh, we don't often think about it in that way. We don't always think about it in the way there's there's often something else kind of you know leading our judgment uh, in terms of creating writing songs. Also, this idea that in a way almost everything is kind of magic pop because it's an expression of someone it's an expression of something and it's it's an you know it it is made for some reason which in itself is sort of beautiful and interesting but i think there might be a sort of new objectivity in pop music whereas you say the um the sort of irony dichotomy is has, has sort of dissolved a bit and what we have instead is people just saying okay well i want to express me i want to express it in the most exciting way possible none of that other stuff matters you know we're we're totally you know it's still i think in what sort of meta modern zone where it's like well we acknowledge that there are some sort of goofy things about corporate pop music or we you know we appreciate some of that stuff but also there, there are very beautiful things about it and actually those two things are just happening at the same time um and i think that You know, for example, the the Poptimism movement sort of risks getting hung up on literally just the corporate side of pop music and kind of taking that at face value and not challenging what could be better about that. The best contemporary records take the good things about all the different spheres and 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 you know zones of music uh and and form a unique statement that is also you know a a well-crafted and and you know beautiful exciting danceable statement and this is definitely i think where we're working what we're working on as well going forward is just a dream vision of pop music and one that takes the best bits of everything you know, techniques and, 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 you know, sort of presentation ideas, but doesn't get too hung up on the, uh, the sort of semantics too much. And, yeah, I mean, you know, and I think you can see this in, as, you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the stuff that has gained ground more so over the last couple of years. I mean, you know, even something like 100 Gex, right? I mean, there's a sort of extreme, you know, there's an extreme personality to that music. But there's also a kind of extreme virtuosity to that music as well. The the sort of genre shifts and the crazy production and, you know, and that also resonating really hard with a lot of people. It's very cult in a way, but it cult means something you know it's not just this like one size fits all it's like there's a beauty in the variety there's a beauty in the fact that you know we've got 100 gex records and Jetty lanza records and all of these different things that are are all about you know they're all descendants of pop music but they're all also intensely personal i think that's the most interesting interesting kind of pop music anyway
3: yeah Pop music I guess is some like an ideal of society sometimes you know when people say that like so you kind of need it to keep moving. What I found quite interesting recently is like, it's gonna be weird to say almost, but it's like, not like novelist you know, I've been like listening to him recently and he's like someone's pop star you know. He might not be on the BBC every day or like whatever, he's not that kind of pop as we imagined it in the 90s. But he's, you know, an X amount of people's pop star. It's hard to explain, but you, with everything going on with how we kind of betray ourselves, how we connect with fans and all that, you can kind of have this pop thing that's going on without the masses even knowing. But it's still pop because it's, it's it's popular music and it's actually like really catchy and it's it pop sentiments and it means stuff to people and people invest in it. So that's quite I think quite funny because you you know pop in the sense of people's relationship with it more than actually how it sounds or you
1: know. This year marks 10 years since the first KKB song came out. Like having been doing this for the past decade now and with the fan base that you guys have amassed in mind, like how has the motive changed if at all?
4: Mm, I, I guess like uh, we always kind of make music that we want to make. Um, I think that hasn't changed what's changed is like, yeah, our fans, like there's people who want to listen to what we make, yeah. But yeah, I think the core hasn't really changed, yeah. It's crazy, it's 10 years. I feels like yesterday.
5: <laughs>
3: yeah, the, essentially, as we were saying earlier, it's like we we change the kind of MO every time, but that's not what changes, if you know what I mean. We, we always keep changing it and that's the constant, you know. We should keep challenging ourselves. So nothing's changed in lots of ways, but we obviously grow and learn, learning, man, 10 years, like, wow.
2: It's insane. I think think Jamie's totally right. It's like, it's actually the the sort of process of making Intro Benito wouldn't have been that different in a way to a civilization. It's about, you know, we have this framework and this sort of conceptual playground, and then we... just basically explore that and fulfill that until we've made a record. And, you know, I can tell you now that the thing that follows civilization is, is you know, is, again, it's a similar process. The differences, you know, like the, the, the bigger audience and so on, affect you in an almost subconscious way. For example, when we were conceiving the Time and Place live show, we sort of just were assuming in the back of our minds that we'd be playing to more people than we would have been when we were conceiving our sort of like very, very DIY art school kind of intro Benito live show. We never said, oh, well, we've got to step it up guys because we're playing to a big audience. You just kind of like, well, okay, given those last few shows we played, I think this is what we'll do. And it's just like, you almost do that sort of automatically, but it's almost like a slot machine or something like, you know, all these things are, ro- are rotating at a different rate. And the record you get at the end of these particular eras is just w- how all the notches on the slot machine have lined up. I think we will just keep exploring that you know through our music careers forever because that is the most interesting thing and unfortunately we're still yeah that all that stuff is still moving which is really exciting thanks so
1: much guys i really appreciate
2: it thank you thank you sal take care sal take
1: care
0: that was Caro kero, kero benito in conversation with the fader salvatore mackie Caro kero, kero benito's latest dp civilization 2 is out now via polyvinyl our engineer is Tony Giambroni, and our associate producer is Salvatore Macchi. We'd like to thank Lauten Audio for providing our microphones. You can find them online at lautenaudio.com. And we'd like to thank James Ivey for providing our intro music. Remember to follow The Fader Interview wherever you listen to podcasts, and keep an eye on the fader.com for essential music news, interviews, and essays. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Fader Interview. Goodbye until then.